Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. I'm your host, Jill Miller. Today, our guest is Rosalind Joffe, co-author of Women, Work, and Autoimmune Disease, Keep Working Girlfriend. She is very passionate about giving people who live with chronic health conditions the tools they need to thrive in the workplace. She's a certified coach and founder of CI Coach, building on her life experience of living with chronic disease for over 40 years. And during that time, she's also improved quality of life for hundreds of people. She is widely published in a number of journals, both in the US and internationally, and a subject matter expert on the topic of managing chronic disease in the workplace. Rosalind, I am very excited to have you here talking about how we navigate the workplace when we have a chronic disease. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure to be here. It really is. So tell me in your work, I know the workplace is a tough one, right? People don't want to talk about a chronic disease at work. Uh, They don't want to sort of be vulnerable enough sometimes maybe to to work with that. They think there's fear of repercussions, but what are some of the challenges that you see that people with spondyloarthritis face in the workplace? So this is such a large question. Let's start (laughs) with first the term workplace, which has really changed. Um, not only it's changed from 50 years ago where you went into, you know, a brick and mortar place and that's how you worked. If you worked independently as, you know, a consultant or something, then there were not a lot of them then. Everything was different. Um, And you were, oh, typically most Americans were employed by others. That's really changed. And so when I first started doing this work, even calling it the workplace was always challenging because you could be working on your own for yourself or working in a group. There's lots of settings. That's the bottom line. But what we're talking about is work. And people will ask me, does that include unpaid work? And my response is, if you wanted to. So let's start with that as the premise, any kind of work. And then the next piece here is the notion of what do people with spondyloarthritis, what do they face? And my response to that has always been the same. You face the same as any person who's living with chronic health conditions. In other words, something that can't be cured Um, at this point in time, and that periodically becomes an issue. So now I can try to respond to your question, the challenges. And that too is such a large, that's such a big bucket. Um, And like everything else in life, It depends on who you are and the situation you find yourself in. 
And what we add to it here is how your disease is impacting you in this setting. So to even begin to list the challenges, I know with this particular set of conditions, even there's a range within spondyloarthritis of how it can impact people. Um, one of the threads of the people who I, I worked with, the two people who I worked with who had a specific condition, it was they needed to exercise, they needed to move a lot. But it really varies and how much and what's a lot. So if I were going to nail this down to one, one or two bullet points, the challenges are that this is something that is typically invisible. So it's on you to communicate about it, unlike other situations where what's going on can be seen. Most of the time, certainly with this set of conditions, with this particular disease. And that, as I said, I said, it was on you to communicate and communicating, talking with people about this is really challenging because yeah. of a myriad of reasons, as, as I'm sure you have experienced, Jill, and all of your listeners have. We all have bring to we bring to disease the way we do everything in life who we've been up till now. So did I answer your question? Yeah, that's really interesting. And it makes me think I I remember the day I disclosed it for the first time to an employer. And for me yeah. it was I felt like I was lying to them about who I was. That's what that for me, what was what the breaking point was. I didn't want to disclose it at work. And when I did, the most interesting thing happened was first, my boss said, that makes sense. When I described mm. spondyloarthritis, he said, it makes sense to me now because you get up and walk around the conference room during meetings when I would think normal, like most people wouldn't get up and walk around. And he said, and I do see, he said, I've seen you where your energy is so high and then we get to a long day and you fatigue out really quickly. And he's like, I don't even know what happens. But what he did say, the most amazing thing he said, he said, I used to have a, a lot of respect for you before you told me this. And he said, that respect just went exponential, knowing that you're accomplishing what you're accomplishing while living with this disease. And it was wow. very powerful. <laughs> Because yeah. I was at a point where I was reaching where I was talking publicly about having the disease. And I, I felt like I was lying oh. if I wasn't bringing that part of me to work. Um, right. So it, I think you're right. The responsibility rests on us. And that's a really interesting point. I know a lot of people probably have fear around talking about it, just like I did. I, yeah. Okay. So Jill, I was following up. My question for you is, what were you, what frightened you? about disclosure. And I put disclosure, by the way, in quotes, because right. it's a word that we use so much, but telling your boss for the first time, what about that was so frightening? What you were know, you afraid I, of? I think it was the repercussion that maybe I wouldn't be looked at for a different position or a leadership position. I would be mm. deemed sick. 
I, people would, you know, constantly be asking if I, I do remember the next day after I told him, like I went to the gym and he's like, are you sure you should be running? And I was like, believe me, I told you no pity. I want no pity. And I will tell you when I need something, but I think I just thought you needed to know about this piece of me. Uh, So I think it changes people's perception of us in some ways, but Mm-hmm. I got to a point where I, I just was going to be me and I wasn't going to let the perceptions bother me. Um, yeah. It just keeps slugging along. Uh, so I think that, I think what would, what it was fear of pity and fear of people, uh, fear of people judging me and maybe not looking yeah. at, and thinking, at me as a whole person. Right. Thinking you can't do the job. They, they, you might be mar- marginalized, not chosen for the next thing as well, it sounds like. So what strikes me is your situation is very common, except your boss's response initially. That was amazing. On so many fronts, yeah. it says a lot about you and the respect he had for you, but it really says a lot about him. Yes. Um, that he even noticed. So that's number one. When we talk about some of the challenges with whatever it is, and what's interesting about this is he noticed you stood up and walked around a lot. You could have just had a bad back. Yeah. But for so many people, that's that's the least of the symptoms that they're trying to manage. And you, he also noticed that you got really tired at the end of the day. That's more, that was the one that I have a hunch you were aware of. And you, and that was a give, that was, that was sort of like a tell. And that, that kind of exhaustion yes. people pick up on. So one of the problems, one of the challenges it, and it's truly a challenge and not a problem, is figuring out what's the right time. And what is the right time? I have a very pat answer to, and I don't have a lot of pat answers, but the right time is when it's getting in your way, in one way or another. So either your performance is getting lower Yes. Or you yourself are feeling so inauthentic or like you're hiding a part of you that it's getting in your way in your head. Yes. Either way, if it's getting in your way, that's the time to disclose, to talk about this. And there isn't much that's, there's no nuance to that. You will know. One of the things I always say to people is when they ask the question, which is very common, should I disclose? Should I talk about this in my in an interview? And of course, that too, there's it's a there's a lot of ways to approach it. Prime and what I always my response is if you can do the job the way it is described in the way that you believe it should get done, and that's what you're hearing from others, and you feel confident that that's gonna continue 
as your illness, as disease symptoms wax and wane, there's no need to disclose unless it makes you feel better. So that goes, all of that is about a really big topic, such as, which is, when do I talk about this? Right. And it's interesting because of a future employer, I disclosed, I was already, I mean, it was already all over my LinkedIn or my, you know, if you Google mm. me out that I'm talking about spondylitis and I disclosed to them before accepting the position. And I just said, I want to let you know that I do a lot of work in this community. Mm. I the job, but I want you to know that this is something that I'm very passionate about. And they actually asked me, they said, make sure that when you are asked if you have a disability in the HR process that you do disclose because we want to make sure we're looking at all the demographics of our employees. And oh. it was really interesting, but I, I do think there's a lot of inauthenticity is that when you said that, that's exactly what I felt. Uh, right. And I'm sure a lot of people feel it too, despite the fact that there are, you know, there are laws that protect us, uh, whether or not we want to enact those laws or enact those privileges. Uh, I do believe they're also in the workplace and you can probably comment on this is, is the, the piece of inclusivity. We talk a lot about DEI. Mm. Uh, yeah. Equity. Inclusion, right. And in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, these yeah. are like a chronic disease is a very important thing for us to look at in the workplace around inclusion and how do we make sure our voice is being heard? I, I was so delighted that you included this be, um, in the list of questions. Um, so that'll probably get cut, but let me just say, so early, from early on, I embraced the notion from the early when I started, when I shifted my work life to this direction in the early 2000s, I had already done diversity work, actually, not around chronic illness, and had worked with other people in the diversity sphere. And so in, initially, from the outset, I cast this in that same light, because when you live with chronic disease, there's differences from other, um, from caste, from religion, from color of skin. Those tend, those are static. Not always, but most of the time they're visible. This is different, but you are other. And in that way, hmm. it can really make you feel tremendous and can be, the reality is, you can become very isolated. So I would completely agree with you that it is a DEI issue. And in some ways, because of the ADA, there is a push in some organizations to hire people with, quote, disabilities. But most of the time, those disabilities are not chronic illness which waxes and wanes. Yes. It's usually a static 
you're blind, you've lost a limb, an injury, or a birth trauma. And that can be confusing to those of us with chronic illness because we think we're protected. But in fact, I haven't looked lately, but anything I've done with lawyers around this, the protection is not necessarily as hard and fast as you might assume. That's interesting. So, that's a great, that's a great distinction. Thank you for that. The, so oh, as I- Really important. Yeah. yeah. And, so as I translate that in my head, I'm thinking like, if I have this condition and I ask for accommodations, they may or may not be granted, or I may not be protected based on what I'm disclosing. That's right. Yeah. So I'm not quite saying that. And okay. th this too is a whole, I've done whole podcasts on just this with lawyers. It's not that they, so once you invoke the word ADA, everybody knows what that, everybody thinks they know what that means, but few really do because it was an, an act. It's the law and, and in that it's an act, it's got a lot of fuzziness. And in the last few years, it, it's not that long ago that they added some new, some um, parts of it, which talk about specific issues that people with chronic illness face. That said, my in my experience, my clients have found that they either run into HR or just employers that don't even have HR and hear ADA and freak out. They're worried they're going to get sued, which is one of the reasons they often, not sued, but brought to court or it could be a lawsuit. And one of the reasons why people don't want to hire people who say they have disabilities is that they're worried about some yeah. lawsuit down the line. So it's a can of worms. And the word that I came up with years ago was, and I believe it because I've seen it in my own life, is accommodations to me has always sounded patronizing. You know, we think of accommodations as a place you're staying. Like when you make a hotel room, you, when you book a hotel room, that's your accommodation. In this case, it's someone accommodating to you. And there is something patronizing. Whereas the work in the workplace, as we talk about it, they are always doing workarounds. Yes. Doing the job differently to make sure we get this done. Yeah. And more than ever now, since the pandemic, that's what that's that's such a loud voice out there. So, a, I would suggest using the word "I need a workaround," unless for some reason you think invoking the ADA is in your best interest, um, and coming at it from that perspective. I, so, just. To, to really consider that. And that's, I, I really, I talk about that. And when you think about it in light of this issue of diversity, it, like everything else, it can work in your favor or it might not. And that's the research you need to figure out ahead of time around this employer. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's making me think about, uh, 
more from a gender perspective, right? I was listening to a podcast mm -hmm. over uh, with a woman by the name of Thorn Dune, uh, really impressive around DEI and gender. Uh, but she had talked about the stat that 70% of valedictorians in the U.S. are women, but women only hold less than, <laughs> I can't remember, 5% of the, the CEO mm -hmm. jobs in the Fortune 500. And I'm probably a little bit off on my numbers there. But what was so interesting was also that idea of inclusion around gender. Uh, and it makes me think of, it's also the culture and the places where we uh, choose to work. And we all know, right, there's this huge, right, the workplace is changing and the future of work looks different than it did. Uh, I know at my company, uh, we just redid, we call it like the manifesto and the house rules. Um, and one mm. of our house rules is if your job is making you sick, you have to talk about it. Wow. And huh. a lot of it is because I'm building the company I've always wanted to work for, right? I left oh. my life in part because I wanted to do more work like this, but that is one of our rules. If your job is making you sick, if you're going to bed on Sunday night, and you're sick to your stomach, you have to talk about it because we're never going to yeah. change. I think that for people with a chronic disease and condition, it's very similar. Uh, and there's there may be shame, I think, related to some of the disease uh, and talking oh, about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on so many levels, let me just say kudos to you for the environment you're setting up. And what's interesting is what you said is you had to build a company. That's why I went to work for myself. I didn't start my life as a chronic illness coach right. um, at all. I was in a whole lot of other things, but I kept leaving jobs and starting new ones so that I could keep working. Um, and only when I worked for myself could I really create the kind of job that I needed. But I know how privileged I am to be able to do that. Yeah. And it's I, I every day, and I make that very clear, I'm lucky. And I know I'm lucky, which is part of what I do, what, why I do what I do. Most people can't afford to do that or don't have the, don't have whatever the capacity on any level and certainly not the financial resources Right. So it is, I, I feel like what, we're, what we haven't really gotten to here is, well, what do you do when you have an employer who, when you're working someplace and you find out the way you did that, oh, the way I'm feeling, there's a reason for this and a name to it. And that's where most people typically, in my experience, with my hundreds and hundreds of clients, that's usually the story. They're already employed and they are either, it's not affecting them, but typically it's affecting them. And that's, few people do preemptive strikes and start talking to me. It's usually when stuff's gotten tough. Oh, yeah. I imagine it's, and it's probably, uh, not the first time it's gotten tough for a lot of people. I, mm -hmm. I think for me, it's a, 
in 2013 when I was so sick and didn't have a diagnosis yet, I got to a point where I could barely get out of bed and I had a 50% travel job right. and right. Ah. hit it for a long time. Uh, oh. But it's, it's, and it took me until 2020 to disclose to an employer. So I had to fail a bunch of times at it. Yeah. Before I fail. Went. I, if there's a way to help people overcome that, like to shorten the failure cycle <laughs> or shorten the cycle to which they get what they need, it, that's any tips there on for somebody <laughs> who might be out there? Well, I think that's not, it's not for me to say how someone should, when I'm working with someone, it's different. I know them and their situation. And I have lots, I don't have tips. I ask questions and try to see where someone is. You weren't ready. You had yeah. to quote, fail, to really give up this image of yourself and the kind of life you were living. I, we're all different. And for some people it's, image of themselves for other people i can't afford to lose this job i'll never get another one that's going to pay me this way or give me the flexibility with my family or my health or whatever so there's a myriad of factors the issue is once you realize it and what you realized is this job requires 50 percent whatever the amount of travel and that's what i can't do so the first, as I said earlier, the first piece of work for anybody is to figure out what can I do? What can I no longer do with symptoms? At least what I know right now, I don't know my future and not symptoms in this moment, but if after you've certainly after you've lived with it for a year or two, you have a sense of where it's going. So that's, but that's the piece that I often work on with people when they're already employed and they're trying to think about a different job or should I stay here? The other piece of this that can be very hard is what do you do when you get a diagnosis, but you don't, the symptoms aren't that bad yet. I've had a number of people, particularly with Parkinson's, which is that's sort of a classic place. Um, I, with spondyloarthritis, I can imagine that people would get, and the clients that I work with, this hasn't been the case, they had to search for a diagnosis. But in a lot of diseases, you're, you're symptomatic. And if you're lucky, you get an answer, at least with yes. a diagnosis. And it's not, you're, it's not in your way yet. And I think that, for most people, there's no reason to leave at that point. And it's in, it can just be an added pressure. And the other thing I would say is, just like when you told your boss, your boss had a tremendous amount of respect for you. Did you end up leaving that job on your, on your own or did they let you go? Oh, I ended up leaving on my own to take right. a, a position, like a, a leveled up position. Uh, there you go. So you see, you had their respect. 
they knew you were a good worker. They, they knew they could rely on you. And so that was really important. And the fact that you said it before your performance act, your output went down, that's really important too. As your boss said, I have more respect for you than ever because look what you've, you're still doing the same job and look what you're faced with. Well, and, and that's you make a good point. The dream. This is, yeah, this is what I was thinking about when I was talking about this podcast I was listening to over the weekend. She was talking about like women who become pregnant, have children, and then yeah. and don't come back. And companies have a big issue with maternity leave. And mm-hmm. was interesting because what she talked about was companies expect people to just continue up on this like straight line and pregnancy and having childbearing years causes like almost an S where you're going to be less impactful, less effective, less efficient for a period of three to six months. And then you come back and typically women who come back to where they were at are even more successful. Uh, But it's a short term, it's a short term loss for the organization, but a long term gain for the organization. So we have to start thinking about for our workers and who we are as companies, we have to think in the mindset that like, if I go to my boss when I have early symptoms that's not affecting my work and I let them know when the time does come, maybe overall I lose 5% efficiency for six months when I'm flaring or whatever, mm-hmm. but isn't an, wouldn't you always want your employees to show up at 95%? To me, that's great, right? Yeah, except that, right, the thing is, Jill, yeah, people aren't rational to begin with. Right. So they hear it and they just fear. And I want to go back to something you said, that this, what this, the person you were, the podcast you were listening to, that women, when they return to the workforce, are, end up being even more productive or successful. And that's my book, when I wrote it, I was I what I wrote it 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I was thinking particularly about myself and others in my age group. And I had a lot of clients, female clients, just in that age group, because that's when a lot of autoimmune for females tends yeah. the onset is late 20s to early 30s. And I would say to you, healthy or not healthy, in my experience, most women. They can be productive, but there's more reasons that life's going to interfere with them at that period of time. They're children. And it's not that there is less focus, but they have other things that can impact their ability to show up. So all of that said, I would, so the thing is what I tell people, whether they are healthy or not, is I think it is in your best interest to disclose if you are pregnant when you take a job. The same way, because you know stuff's gonna happen. It's yeah. inevitable. And you look like you're, you, if you don't, you're not a team player. And the clients I've had that have disclosed that they have a, cli- that a chronic illness, some of them have been quite lucky in that that person wanted them by that point in the in the hiring process and felt they were being a team player 
and was glad that they knew. And there's one other thing I want to mention in this. And I don't know if you've run into it, but I hear it all the time. And I experienced it for years in my personal life until my the MS that I live with, the symptoms, I mean, I'm 72. So in the last 10 years, I walk funny. People now remember because they see me. But otherwise, unless you were my best friend, you didn't remember. Most people right. don't. And it's the same, even more so at work. People forget. Not only do they forget that you have an illness, but they certainly don't remember what it is. Right. Unless it's visible. So that's another piece I wanted to get in here because disclosure is not just the first time. It's the ongoing talking about it. You're right. Realizing that unless you look different, then people forget. So I've lived with numerous autoimmune diseases and for the most of that 45 years or most of the 35 years, the first 35 years of it, no one ever remembered until I brought it up for some reason, which made me always want to bring it up immediately. Certainly not in the workplace. Now, once it became visible, now people remember and I find it even more annoying because I walk funny. But that's with true in your personal life as well as at work. And it's more important at work, whether it's paid work, volunteer work, or any situation in which someone is relying on you and you might not be able to do it. It's You might assume, and I've heard so many clients say, why did my boss give me this project? They, he knows I'm so sick. Or why would she do such a thing? She knows I can't do that. Right. No, she's probably forgotten. Yes. And I'll say one more thing. I have in our, our house rules kind of for that reason is um, if you're not, if you don't think that your, your leadership is listening to you or you're not being heard, like you have to remind us because we forget. Oh, great. Like these Absolutely. are the things that have, like, because I want people to have voices, especially people who are women or need to feel included or, you know, to, right. to make, yeah, it's, yeah. So right. Disclosure once doesn't just mean it's on somebody's mind all the time. And, you know, going back again to what we were talking about before about DEI, the yes. other side of that, from my, from my perspective, early on in my, in my newsletters, right? Blogs, but I started talking about was normalize this. Yes. Normalize it. It's if I, I've had aging parents, I had to take care of. I've had children. And I've had, I have a grandchild now. There's all kinds of other things in my life that lots of other people have. Right. But I'm very privileged in other ways. And yet I think that, that being able to say aloud, this is what I'm living with. This is what I find difficult. And this is what I need. Yeah, exactly. That's, and it's, it's, this is what I need right? That is yeah. the, that is the important part. And okay, so we're going to wrap up here, but we're totally going to do yeah. a, a number, a, a second, <laughs> a second version of this. Um, okay. Rosalind, I want to also, where can people find your book, Women Work and Autoimmune Disease? Um, Keep working, girlfriend. So the book, 
I think is it's definitely on I think it's still on Amazon. Okay. Um it's and I have a blog, but I haven't posted for over a year. I have some workbooks on there too. Um and a work and little booklets. So it's all on my website, which is cicoach.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to talk with anybody if they have quick questions that they want to email me. Quick questions. I okay, will do that. Fair enough. Okay. We can respect those boundaries. Have a wonderful day, Thank Rosalind. You. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.